maybe next Sunday when there's more time. Um, so we're going to get right into it. So buckle up, okay, because we have a very short time to unpack a lot of information, okay? How many enjoyed Will Eifler? I think I might need to find a new job if he continues to preach. Um, so we're going to try to work with that and prevent him from ever preaching again here at Hilltop. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, he was in Acts chapter 10, and he was uh, sharing with me prior. He's like, do you mind if I switch it up a little bit? Like, I, I may not be able to get anything out of Acts chapter 10 that would be uh, helpful for the group. And um, I'm so grateful that he, he stuck through and um, sussed out some uh, stuff within the, the text to, to offer our community. I, I think that you can do that with any portion of Scripture. And I think Acts 11 kind of follows that same kind of tone. Like, you, you look at Acts chapter 11, you're just like, what, what am I going to do with this, Lord? You know, like, how am I going to make this? But we're, we're faithful to um, stick with the series, take chapter by chapter, and just and look for the Lord and look for where Jesus would be highlighted and magnified um, in the text. And so we're in Acts chapter 11, if you would bear with me to just kind of give you a quick overview of the first seven verses. Actually, it's actually 1 through 21. And then where we're going to focus in on is right around verse 21 where a familiar name emerges again in the book of Acts. A, a name of which we're familiar with uh, if you were with us back when we were in Acts chapter 4 and 5. Um, and we'll, without getting too ahead of myself, I will uh, stop there and we'll get right into Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 7. Essentially, the gospel is spreading, right? That's kind of indicative in the book of Acts, it's, there's, there's certain things that are common that you see over and over, and one of those things is the spreading of the gospel. But here, in Acts chapter 11, the gospel is spreading to the Gentiles, right? Still, like, there's, I mean, that's a pretty good thing, isn't it, right, when we think about it today? But, you know, unfortunately, the word gets back to Judea, where Peter's homies uh, are hanging out. Um, they're... Other apostles and other followers of Christ who are, who are asking questions and maybe even a bit concerned about what's going on uh, and why Peter is baptizing Gentiles, right? And so we move on. Peter goes and he explains to his friends that, listen, it's God who is doing this. It's God who is pouring out his spirit as I talk. I mean, what is Peter supposed to do? Stop? Is he supposed to be like, you know, just, sorry, this is not for you. And so there was a work of God that was going on, and the Gentile people were being touched. But remarkable, right around, I think, uh, I don't know what verse it is. For the sake of time, I'm not going to uh, get too caught up on the, the specific verse. But I think it's right around 7 where Peter talks to his friends, his colleagues in Judea, and he talks about uh, a time of prayer that he had in Joppa. And in this time of prayer, he goes into a trance. I don't, know, you know, I don't know exactly how to explain that. I don't know like, what state Peter was in, but he explains it as just being unconscious and in a trance, but he's awake. And in that trance, he sees a vision. He sees birds. He sees beasts of the field, birds of the air, and reptiles, right? And a voice kind of emerges and tells Peter to rise, kill, and eat. I like that. I like that. I'm, I'm so glad that we can eat meat today, but of course that is not really the meaning of what the Lord is trying to convey to Peter, right? Um, it says but, uh, in verses 8 and 9, this is where the kind of we want to pick up in the story, Peter says, he protests a bit, he says, but I said, Peter, by no means, Lord, 
For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice answered Peter and said for a second time, what God, has, what God has made clean, excuse me, do not call common. Pretty remarkable, but essentially just to break it down, if you'd allow me to read my notes, the reason for Peter's protesting, right, is that the ceremonial law of the Old Testament regarded animals as unclean. And that prevented Peter, people like Peter to eat of these, uh, these meats, right? And so Peter's just trying to honor the Lord and trying to honor uh, that, that kind of law and, and keep to. And the Lord is changing the game. When Jesus' entrance into the world, right, the final cleansing sacrifice of Christ now being offered, uh, the command, and in addition to that, the command to take the gospel to the ethnic groups, the very ends of the world, now given to the church in the New Testament that the old ceremonial laws about foods are lifted and the barrier to the Gentile world is removed. Someone say hallelujah. That's very good news for us. That's very good news for us. I'm not just trying to be, you know, Creflo Dollar this morning. I'm trying to really like... <laughs> Sorry, all Creflo Dollar fans. Um, I, I'm really trying to just portray like we have been given much by the Lord this morning. You know, I don't... You know, I, 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 I was a person that was without hope prior to Christ. You were also. Any Jews in here this morning? Okay, great. All right, so there's a noticeable shift, right, in verse 11. There's a noticeable shift in, in verse 11 where kind of the, the encounter that, and I'm trying to move very fast, so please forgive me. If you want to get more uh, meat, then stick around. Second service, I hope to provide that. But um, in verse 11, there's a, a significant noticeable change, right? This encounter that Peter's having, that he's explaining to his colleagues in, Job, uh, in Judea, turns from a time of prayer to an actual happening, if you would, okay? There's things that are starting to take place. Uh, one is, well, in typical Acts fashion, suddenly three men from Caesarea show up at the house that Peter is staying at while he's having this pray- time of prayer and he's in a trance and having visions. <laughs> Whew, that was a lot for to say. But three men just suddenly show up and they tell Peter... Hey, listen, you want to come with us? And Peter just, he doesn't fight him. He says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to come with you. I'm gonna, uh, he's led by the Spirit. He doesn't put up any arguments. He's like, just go with him. Because there's another man whose name is Cornelius in the story who has been talking to angels, another very weird thing. I mean, we're talking trances, visions, angel talking, eh, only things that you see and hear about in the book of Acts, right? I love it. And so anyways, Cornelius sends these three dudes uh, to fetch Peter because Cornelius himself is a Gentile who is in the midst. I don't know if Will talked about it, but in Acts chapter 10, verse 2 and 22, he's a man who at the time feared God as best as he knew how. He, um, he prayed and he gave alms and walked upright before the Lord. That's most than, uh, that's, that's, that's most, than most Christians do today. This guy's not even saved, right? And so this angel talks to him, and, and, and everything that's going on in Cornelius' life, the angel pretty much tells him to go get Peter because Peter will explain. And essentially, Cornelius will come to Jesus and be saved. And so just an interesting story of where kind of this time of prayer, this vision and this voice that Peter hears turns into actual happenings. Like, like Peter's starting to see it. Wow, this... Gentile is now uh, walking with the Lord. And so you move on a little faster, because I only have like five minutes. Praise God. 
Um, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but in verses 19 through 21, there's another scenario that begins to unfold. Um, There is a group of Christians that, uh, because of the death of Stephen, have now been scattered all over uh, um, the, the, the Mediterranean coastlands, like as far as Antioch, right? And these dudes that have been scattered due to the persecution of uh, Stephen uh, are starting to preach the gospel to Gentile people. And, and Gentile people, by the number, are being saved. And you know what was even more interesting is that while they were preaching, the Bible says that the Lord ministered to them with power to these Gentile people. And so, word again gets to Jerusalem. Because the church is like, what's going on? Gentiles are being baptized. They're being saved. Remarkable. Remarkable. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 11, 22. It says, news of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas. Now, here's a man we heard about in Acts chapter 4 and 5. And this is really the core of my message this morning, is this man. You know, there's figures in Acts that just kind of stand out. You have Peter, Paul, and others, right? They're kind of just like heavy hitters, right? And then you have others who kind of just hang out in the background, but sometimes they pop up, and you start to get a glimpse of their character and the way that God used them. They're not as, uh, you know, uh, I guess, visual characters like Paul and Peter, but nevertheless, if you just look at some of the things that Luke wrote about Barnabas, you start to think a little bit about this man. Um, And so, if we read on in 23, I think it says, when he came, he saw the grace of God. This is Barnabas. He came and he he comes and he observes this work that's happening in Antioch. And he sees uh, that the grace of God is with him. He was glad and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. Barnabas was a good man, and he was full of the Holy Spirit in faith. Again, not to repeat myself, but it's, I think it's important to just recap where we first see Barnabas appear. He serves as a, con, a, a kind of like stark contrast between Ananias and Sapphira, right? You know, and, uh, Barnabas was a man who sold all his possessions and gave the proceeds to the church to give to the poor. So that's where he, 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 he first emerges in the storyline of Acts. And then, uh, but, but what's remarkable in uh, chapter 4 and 5 of the book of Acts is this, what we see in Barnabas speaks volumes to the true freedom of faith that's in Christ. And in contrast to Ananias and Sapphira, who uh, tried to fake on the outside when it's not really there on the inside. And so... Barnabas is a great man, and we're going to take some time and look. When I say time, it's about three minutes. <laughs> Blessed be. I see some of you guys are like, oh, my God, where am I this morning? What, what, what I'd like to take a look at in three or minutes is what makes Barnabas tick. Um, Luke obviously admires Barnabas. As as I said in the beginning of this series, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and he just has a very keen kind of uh, admiration for for Barnabas. Um, And and after he describes, Luke describes Barnabas' ministry in verse 
23 as we read, Luke just kind of puts this little disclosure in there that he's a good man. He's a good man. I'd like to look at the fruit. Or, or, yeah, I'd like to look at the root, actually, uh, of that goodness today, this morning, briefly. Where does it come from? Where does this goodness come from? How does this particular root uh, produce fruit, the fruit of goodness? And how might it produce the same thing in us as we observe a man who kind of hides out in the backdrop of the book of Acts? You know, a brief observation of verse 24 of Acts chapter 11 is Luke essentially makes two claims about Barnabas, and that is um, that he's a good man. Sorry for repeating it, but, you know, I just, I like that. Goodness is the fruit of the Spirit. And so obviously, Barnabas had this fruit, and Luke is admiring and observing and, 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 and making, it, uh, uh, making it important in such a way that he would remark upon it in the book of Acts, chapter 11, that he's a good man. And then again, another observation or assertion or claim of Barnabas is that he is full of the Holy Spirit in faith. But what's the relationship between Barnabas' goodness and his being full of the Holy Spirit and faith? I would venture to say uh, that most likely the fullness of the Holy Spirit in faith is the root or the source of Barnabas' goodness, right? It makes sense. After all, Paul unpacks this for us in Galatians, right? Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Paul unpacks the relationship between the goodness that we're to have, the fruit of goodness in our lives. And, and, and how that is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, you don't get the Holy Spirit because you're good. The Holy Spirit takes over your life, right? And He makes you good. A perfect example is right in the claims, again, that, Barnabas, that Luke makes of Barnabas. Uh, for example, Luke doesn't say that Barnabas was... Uh, full of the Holy Spirit only, right? That's not enough. You know, there, there's, there's got to be some kind of ways that he can quantify and, and, and really explain uh, this goodness or this being full of the Holy Spirit. And the way he does, the way Luke does, is by saying that Barnabas was a good man, producing the fruit of goodness. I don't know, it does it for me, man. So when Luke says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, my understanding is that Barnabas had a great faith in God and that by this faith, the Holy Spirit became powerful in his heart, much like it should in ours. And as a result of the Holy Spirit being powerful in his heart, there was a lot of practical goodness that Luke the Apostle observed quite a bit through the book of Acts. And a man who's not as visual as the rest. He's not a Paul. He's not a Peter. But he's a heavy hitter in the book of Acts. So now we move on to faith, and I'm at 1030. But let's try to do this, okay? All right. Again, Paul explains faith and the work of faith in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. It tells us in that chapter, or that verse, excuse me, in that chapter, says this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? The assumed answer 
is that we received the Spirit by faith in the Word of God, all right? That's, that we feel that, it, we, I mean, of course, we didn't receive it by works, or works of the law. And then in verse 5 of the same chapter, Paul says, does he who supplies the Spirit to do uh, to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? And again, the assumed answer is, of course, faith. The Spirit is received by faith and goes on being supplied through faith. Is that making sense? Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So let me try to put this together. And i got to read my notes, so forgive me for being shallow. The charismatic world, I understand that's a bit shallow. He's prepared. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I'll make myself laugh. <laughs> so, at the beginning of our Christian life, and just nod if you agree with me, or if you don't agree with me, don't shake your head the other way. Um, but at the beginning of the Christian life, we receive the Holy Spirit by trusting in the truth of the gospel, right? I mean, that's what we just read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, okay? I'm not making it up. Um, and then, as the Christian life goes on, there is a need again and again to be strengthened and filled with the Spirit. Is there not? This too happens by faith in the word of God's promise, right? Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. We read it. And one of the practical fruits or products of the Spirit-filled life is goodness. Galatians 5.22. Boom. So if you were to ask Luke what made Barnabas tick, what was the key to his life as a Christian leader, I think Luke could have said two things, and he did. <laughs> is that he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of the faith. This was the key to Barnabas' goodness. He was producing fruit. He was being a Christian. So, where I want to leave us with this morning is how can the life of Barnabas become living and effective for us at this point? How can we gain any encouragement um, or guidance from Barnabas' life and in short, using chapter 11, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 11 as a reference point, Barnabas, in short, felt empathy for outsiders, right? He rejoiced at what was going on in the Gentile people. And there's a reason for that. And this is where I want to end. And it's kind of kind of feel like a, a total turn, but I want to remind us of something precious this morning. Barnabas felt empathy for outsiders. Because his faith still felt the wonder of once having been an outsider himself. But now he's, he's in the wonder of being accepted by God. And he's observing, oh my goodness, God is taking in the Gentile people. This is remarkable. I got four of you with me. But my question is, I wonder this morning, I really wonder this morning. How many of us still feel the wonder of our salvation, the wonder that Barnabas felt as he observed Acts chapter 11 at Antioch? Whoa, God is doing a new thing. How many of us still feel uh, the preciousness of our salvation? You know, we got to constantly live in the tension of 
that David lived in. God, restore, renew unto me the joys of my salvation. Come on. We take so much for granted that which Christ has done for us. We need to rediscover the preciousness of our adoption, the preciousness of being made a child of God. Do you understand that this morning? And this is where we'll conclude. Six minutes over, but I would encourage us all, as the writer of Hebrews does, um, to imitate the faith of Barnabas and to cherish our salvation, to be once again enamored by the wonder that we were once without hope. And I don't think that there's any uh, uh, more of an appropriate time to do that than in the time that we are now in Lent. And so, as Bethany encouraged us to be like Stephen, my encouragement to you this morning is to be like Barnabas. Observe Barnabas and let others witness the fruit that is supposed to be in your lives. Amen. Father, I thank you for this group. I thank you that they let me yell at them from time to time. Um, and God, our, our desire this morning is simply just to be awoken in, in our hearts to the preciousness and the wonder of our salvation. And so, God, I just ask by the grace of God that you would do that in our hearts, Lord, that we would rediscover in this time of Lent just what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be spared from the wrath of God, what it means to be an outsider, but now being adopted, now being grafted into the family of God. Jesus, what a remarkable thing you've done for us. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.